Want to make your own podcast? Spotify's got a platform that lets you make one super easily, then lets you distribute it everywhere and anywhere, and even earn money right from it. And it's all in one place for free. It's called Spotify for Podcasters, and here is how it works. Spotify for Podcasters lets you record and edit podcasts right from your phone or computer. So no matter what your setup is like, no matter where you're at, you can start creating today. Hello, and welcome to the next episode of the Jaguar Report podcast. I am John Shipley, and I'm joined by my co-host, Gus Logue. Gus, how are you doing today, man? I'm good, John. What's going on with you? Uh, I'm doing good. You know, another another week in paradise, uh, another, another week of the NFL. Definitely an interesting week, considering all the different moving pieces of the weekend, not just with the Jaguars, but really around the league in terms of, you know, positive COVID tests. And so it, it was definitely an interesting week in the cover. For sure. Yeah, there was definitely a lot going on. But any week we have football, I think, is kind of a blessing, especially where we were at. Yeah, no, 100%. And, you know, of course, the Jaguars are now fresh off another loss uh, in their losing streak. They're now on a five-game losing streak. They haven't won since September 13th. So they haven't won a game in over a month. Uh, the latest loss was 34-16 loss to the Lions. Uh, the game, it, it played out half the way like I thought it would, and that is the Lions scoring a lot of points and getting a lot of yards. I also thought the Jaguars would get a lot of points and a lot of yards, but uh, I think Sunday was a good sign that maybe it's time we move past that expectation for them. What do you think, Gus? Yeah, absolutely. I think you can kind of chalk up the loss to just both sides of the defense, honestly, just because I think the Lions did a lot better job than I was kind of expecting. And we can talk about that more um, when we talk about Minshew. But, like, obviously the Jags defense just is not producing like they should. They, they're dead last in the league and just about every defensive, like, efficiency rating. And, I mean, <laughs> it's, a, it's an old subject and it's getting tired. But Todd Wash's base covered three defense is yeah. just not it. I, I was going to say, it feels like at this point we're kind of – it's kind of just copy and pasting what we're saying, you know, every week. I mean, you know, this is the fifth time this season that they've given up uh, 30 points. They've given up 30 points and all five of these losses. Uh, Gus, you, you found a good stat yesterday. Of, uh, I don't remember off the top of my head what it was, but uh, just like how rare it is for a team to give up 30 points that many consecutive times. Uh, what was that stat again? Um. Well, so first of all, we're playing the Chargers this week. In the last in the last four of five games against the Chargers, uh, Jags have allowed 30-plus points. And the Jags have also allowed 30-plus points in each of the past five games. So if they, allow, if they allow 30 points or more this coming Sunday, then that'll be the sixth game in a row. And it'll just be the ninth time ever that a team, NFL team, has allowed 30-plus points in six straight games. And it'll, it'll be only be the third time since 2000. Yeah, that is – I mean, we, we talked last week about how it seems like there's a new stat every time the Jaguars lose that's just mind-boggling. That's another one of them. Uh, I think another one uh, – there were actually two other ones that really uh, struck me. I, honestly, we might need to just make this a segment at this point, the, the most hilarious stats from each Jaguars game. Uh, <laughs> That'd be good. Sun Sunday was the first time since 2013 the Lions had a 100-yard rusher and a 100-yard receiver in the same game. And it was also the most points the Lions have scored in the Matt Patricia era. 
And considering that happened at home in Jacksonville, I don't – I mean, you, I think you can be positive about a couple individual performances and a few young guys. But I think overall it looked bad live. And I think when you go back and watch the All-22, just defensively, uh, up front and in the back end, they just, they just got beat repeatedly. And it, it, it's at the point where I think it's obviously fair to, you know, question the coaching and the scheme because it's been a problem for as long as it has. But uh, I, I think it's time for people to come around to, you know, just maybe the roster isn't as talented as people are hoping. Yeah, absolutely. I was going to say, I just think the Jags defense was definitely – or isn't as talented as a Lions offense. And so it's pretty hard to make games close when you have a deficit in talent and a deficit in coaching. So it's just, I don't know where they go from here, but yeah. it's a lot of rough stuff. Uh, 10 more games, baby. <laughs> <laughs> I was, I, and it, it, it's, I, I thought Doug Marone uh, put it well after the game when, you know, uh, of course we'll get into this next, but, uh, you know, he was asked about Todd Walsh's job security and he basically said, you know, as long as I'm a head coach, uh, Todd is safe. And he didn't went on to say, uh, it's not like they're not trying new things. And uh, he's right. I mean, they they put out they've put out different lineups almost every week. It seems like. I mean, they traded for a strong side linebacker, and four days later, they you know started him on defense. Right. Uh, Sidney Jones start for the first time since uh, I believe week three last season. Trey Herndon didn't start on the outside, so they've tried different things. It's just. The different things just haven't really worked. And when it's to that point, I agree. I'm, I'm more so leaning to, toward where you go from here. But here's what I want to ask you, Gus. Should the defense be as lacking in talent as it is? Because the way I look at it, when you look at their past drafts and free agencies, it, it, it'd be more excusable, I think, for the offense to be struggling. But the defense, they have a ton of first-round picks in. They have a couple of, uh, you know, high-paid linebackers. And, you know, obviously, Miles Jack's been terrific. And Joe Schobert had, by far, his best game as a Jag on Sunday. But, I mean, they've invested into the defense. So, I mean, should they get a pass for the – it's not really talented considering how much they pump into it? Yeah, I don't think so. That's definitely a really good point. They've put so many resources into the defense, especially in the defensive line. Like, I wrote a couple weeks ago, I think um, – they, like, were top five in positional spending on the defensive line from, like, 2014 to 2018. And then they've also spent, like, the past three first-round picks on defensive linemen. And so maybe that's part of it just because I think in today's NFL, like, passing offense is kind of what rules. And so, like, ideally they would invest more in their secondary. And I don't think it's really a coincidence that, like, when their secondary was really good in 2017 and even 2016, 2018 they were a nice defense but now that they have like a rookie in CJ Henderson who's probably going to be good but isn't really there yet and then a lot of just inexperienced young players in the secondary I think that's definitely a big reason why but and obviously not having Calais and AJ Bouye and all these other pieces who were just here is certainly not ideal but I think it's definitely a good point that They've invested so much, and then all of a sudden, there's just not much there anymore, and we can't really get anything out of the people that are here, except for maybe Miles Jack. Yeah, no, for sure. And um, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned Calais because, you know, as the season's been progressing, I've uh, been to the m- vastly negative reaction of most people on Twitter, have been keeping track of uh, the production of Calais and uh, Yannick Ngakwe in Minnesota. 
right. you know, through six games, the Jags have five sacks, and uh, Campbell and Ngakwe, uh, just two players, have nine sacks. Uh, Ngakwe alone uh, has as many sacks as the Jaguars do as a team, and he has two forced fumbles. So I, I think when you talk about the defense's kind of demise, obviously you have to talk about the secondary with Jalen leaving and trading Boye and just taking your lumps as growing pains. But I think the lack of the pass rush is more so on their personnel moves because I, I understand trading Calais, uh, you know, for the cap reasons. I do, but I just feel like that was a move that maybe didn't necessarily have to be made. Like maybe there were a few other moves that, you know, could have been made instead. And then uh, as for Ngakwe, I know people, the same reaction is always, well, he didn't want to play in Jacksonville. So you can't like count him as a, you know, a guy who's getting production that they should have. Well, if the Jaguars had entered, you know, proper negotiations with him the year prior, you know, in uh, 2019 training camp uh, when Tom Coughlin kind of played hardball with him, then they never would have got to that point where he didn't want to play football with him. So I think the pass rush now is just like, uh, you know, uh, they're kind of reaping what they've sowed in terms of personnel moves on that point. And they're going through growing pains. You know, I, uh, I think, I still think Josh Allen has had a solid season and, and, and the times he's played, I don't, he, he obviously hasn't been dominant and I'm pretty sure he would say he hasn't played that well, but I mean, 13 pressures in four games, it isn't great, but it's vastly better than anybody else on the defense has been producing. And, I think Chase on at least has some interesting tools. Uh, I said he was a project coming out, and I, I still kind of stand by that right now. So they still have some talent on the defensive line, but any kind of bona fide pass rushers they had who were proven are gone now. So the way I see it is the secondary, they're going through growing pains, but on the defensive line, they're kind of, they kind of did it to themselves is the way I see it. You know, it's not the natural progression of things. It's things didn't have to be like that, but that's just me kind of, you know, rambling on, I know. But I, I've, I've had that thought for a little bit. Uh, I know every time I tweet about Ngakwe and Campbell, I get I get uh, pushed back. But I I really do think, you know, there's a scenario where both those guys could have been on the team this season. But, you know, moving past that, uh, obviously, I think outside the defense being bad again on Sunday, I think the most alarming thing and I probably the most important thing is the performance of Gardner Minshew and the offense. Uh, you know, the offense started really well in the first two weeks. They scored, I believe it was 57 points the first two weeks. And just since then, they have struggled to get anything going. You know, they go three and outs on first drives consistently. They're struggling to put the ball in the end zone when they get to the red zone. Just w what is your biggest uh, really theory on why they're struggling on offense right now? I would say it's twofold. I would say one big reason and probably the biggest reason is just all the negative game scripts. I think it's just really hard for any offense, but especially an offense that doesn't have a ton of talent or a ton of great coaching. Like you could say like the Jags have mediocre offensive talent and mediocre coach coaching, but like even then it's still hard for a mediocre team to be able to perform on offense when they have as much negative game scripts as they do this season. And it's just like when you play – for me at least, when I play Madden and I'm down two touchdowns, every single pass is a deep pass and shotgun. And so I almost feel like it's been the same for Jay Gruden. It's just like we talked last week about how he kind of gets away from the running and the play action and the short throws. But it's definitely easier said than done when you're down by multiple scores in basically every game and you kind of have to ramp it up. And so I think 
part of that is that like the defense can have like easier play calls because they kind of understand that the offense needs to be aggressive. And then also just that Minshew isn't really built for negative game scripts. Like I think all the traits he's showing this year is basically all the ones he's showing last year where he just checks down and scrambles a little bit too often. And he's just not comfortable in a crowded pocket and uncomfortable throwing it to tight windows downfield unless he has to. And so I think those traits were a little bit hidden just because he went six and six as a starter last year and obviously won more games than he is right now. And so I think he's just not the type of quarterback like someone like Russell Wilson or Deshaun Watson or even Jameis Winston that can like play from behind and like actually give their team a chance. He's, just, he's more of a player that doesn't lose games than he is one that wins games. And so like you uh, had this point last week and it was perfect. Like he would be awesome either in San Francisco or in like 2017 Jacksonville where he just kind of has to do enough and is basically like a game manager. But right now he's asking to be like more aggressive than he wants to be. And that just isn't really fitting. And so yeah, like it's, a, it's definitely negative game scripts, but I'd also have to say it's opposing defenses because I think the Lions and especially the Dolphins in week three, actually, mm-hmm. I was kind of like watching the all 22 for those games to see like where Jacksonville struggled. But at the same time, I was really um, impressed by those two different defenses. And I think defenses overall are sort of figuring out Minshew. And like I said, it's kind of easier for defenses to call plays when like you know the opposing offense is, has to be aggressive because they're down multiple scores. But at the same time, I think a lot of the defenses this year, but like I said, especially Detroit and Miami, have done a really good job of like kind of crowding the line of scrimmage and kind of stopping the run and like the short plays that uh, the Jags had so much success with, like in week one against the Colts, and just making Minshew uncomfortable and like kind of forcing him to beat them deep, which he hasn't really been able to do consistently. Yeah, no, I, I, I think you made a lot of good points there, Gus. And that, that's actually something uh, I've been thinking in terms of defenses figuring out Minshew, where I think the Lions game was a good example of it because uh, one of, I think, the best followers on Twitter uh, is Brandon Thorne because, you know, he does a great job of breaking down offensive and defensive line play, really the technical aspects of it. And he tweeted out yesterday, you know, he, he watches every single defensive front each week, all 22, and he's like, Detroit blitz more versus Jacksonville than I can remember in a long time. And it felt like that during the game. It felt like they always had a body in the A-gaps. And yeah. to, to me, it seemed like their strategy was get a guy in Minshew's face, get some interior pressure, and make him throw off balance or not able to set his feet. And then that way he won't be able to beat you. And to me, that's what it looked like. I mean, uh, uh, the Chark interception is a perfect example of that. You know, the linebacker beat Bruce Miller uh, on the block. He got some pressure in Minshew's face. Minshew, what, you know, his feet weren't perfectly set. He was fading back a little bit. He tossed the chart, and he just – he does not have the natural arm strength to make that kind of off-balance throw. You know, I, I Justin Herbert, I think that throw is probably a touchdown, honestly. Minshew right. just – he just isn't that kind of quarterback. And I, that's not – that's not to, you know, try to be a knock or a negative on him because, you know, he we talked last week. He does a lot of things well, and he's definitely a, quali- a, a good – serviceable you know passer considering where he was drafted but at some point the limitations uh start showing up and I I, I've seen people suggest that he's regressing but Gus I want to get your take on this I think he more or less uh kind of looks similar to what he did last year it's just his uh, flaws are intensified by like you said 
the fact that the defense is much worse than it was last year. But all the issues he's having this year, you know, kind of scrambling too often, uh, being uncomfortable in the pocket, uh, the arm strength down the field, it all showed up last year. It's just, you know, it's kind of hidden by the fact that they were a more successful team. I mean, what's your opinion on that? Do you think he's more or less the same player than he was last year? Because I don't think he's gotten worse. I really don't. No, I completely agree. I think it's kind of funny because, like, people, like, the nerds on Twitter will say that offense matter, passing offense is the only thing that matters. And it's mostly because, like, offense is what kind of dictates the defense. But, like, for Minshew, it's almost the opposite, where the defense is what dictates him. And I just think he's super, like, sensitive to matchups because, like, when against the Colts, when they were playing, like, a soft cover two zone, he was able to just stick and dunk his way through the whole game. But then since then, and especially in the past month, when they're, like, crowding the line of scrimmage, and especially when they have, like, the linebackers and A-gaps, like you said, and they just, like, make him uncomfortable and force him into situations that he doesn't want to be in, then that's kind of, like, where you see his flaws the most. And so, like I said, and like you said, he's kind of been the same quarterback the whole time, like, since his first start against Kansas City, or his first game against Kansas City in week one last year. It's just that the different game scripts and the different defenses have kind of a big – are a big reason for his performances. Yeah, for sure. And I would like to point out, you know, uh, just, you know, in in fairness to Minshew, obviously. uh, I mean, you put him, the same exact player he is today and on Sundays, like we have said, you put him on uh, some different teams, and he has a lot more success. You know, I mean, I I, I, I believe that, but uh, some quarterbacks are just situation dependent, and I believe that's when you kind of get into the gray line of, is this guy a franchise passer or not? My opinion uh, franchise passers can make it work uh, regardless of the situation, regardless of the cast around them, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, I, I couldn't tell you who Aaron Rodgers' third receiver is. and I can only tell you who his second receiver is because Jaguar fans never stop talking about how they cut him. <laughs> I mean, so uh, that, that, that's just uh, my, my take on the whole uh, Minshew thing. Um, obviously, uh, he has 10 more games to kind of, you know, start building some momentum, but uh, t- time time is definitely starting to run for him. Okay, uh, next, uh, you, you know, I, I mentioned earlier that when we talk about Jaguars games at this point, it kind of feels like we're talking about the same thing each week, you know. Defense yeah. gives up a ton of points in big plays. Offense doesn't do that much outside of a few players playing well. I, I want to get your take on uh, what Marone said after the game about uh, Todd, uh, Todd Walsh. I, I have an opinion on it, but I, I want to first uh, hear yours. I, I, obviously, you know, the, the, the torches and pitchforks came out on social media when, when that was said. What, what was your real uh, opinion or takeaway from it? So at first, I had no idea what to think. I kind of thought that, like, Marone and Walsh were, like, childhood friends who made a pact when they were, like, eight to never fire each other from their team if they ever made it to the NFL or something because I, I couldn't really come up with an explanation other than that. But now, like, the more I think about it, the more it troubles me, because it's just, like, an obvious scapegoat situation. And so, like, if I'm an NFL head coach and I'm scared about losing my job, then it makes sense for me to fire one of my coordinators and say, look, like, we're not playing very well on this side of the ball, so I think we need to change, and let's see how it goes moving forward. And, like, this is the perfect opportunity for that, considering the Jags have allowed 30-plus points in five straight games, and ranked dead last in like every efficiency metric for defense and so the fact that he's not using that scapegoat situation like makes me worried that Marone doesn't really fear like his job being lost and so 
that's basically where I'm at. Like, I, I just think. Yeah. It, I don't know. He, here is my thing. And I, 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 I ask you this and I, you know, ask the fans this. Outside of making fans feel better because it's a sense of somebody obviously being held accountable, what would firing Todd Wash accomplish? Because at least for this season, whoever takes over in his place, they're running the same scheme and they're calling the same plays with the same players. I really do not think it would make any like difference this. whatsoever if if he finishes this season or not. I I I obviously um I'd agree that they need a change on defense next season, but for right now, I just I don't see how it improves the defense. I think people just need to realize that this is the hand that they dealt for 2020. I agree. If anything, it would be like a nice kind of um, opportunity for some like young coach to kind of step in and be the D coordinator yeah. and see if like they do something special with it or not, which almost definitely won't happen, but like maybe it could. Yeah. But, I mean, it's almost like, like I was joking about the childhood patch, but at the same time, like Marone is probably like, well, if he's going to be gone soon anyway, like if he's probably going to be gone in the off season, like I might as well keep on my staff now to kind of keep good relations with them. Yeah. So that like for future opportunities, we kind of still have a good relationship. Yeah, I don't want that, to fire him now when he's going to get fired anyway. And that's fair. And uh, honestly, Marone made a similar point uh, last year when asked about changes is that, you know, that there has to be somebody internally that can take over. And I, I, I made a similar point about last year when, you know, calls for Marone to be fired during the season. I didn't disagree that the Jaguars needed change on the staff, but uh, who who were they going to make the interim head coach? Uh, John DeFilippo, who cannot uh, hold a uh, coordinator job uh, for the life of him in the NFL. Uh, the quarterbacks coach who went to the Canadian Football League. Like, you know, obviously it would make fans feel better, but you still have to have somebody actually performing the job. And I think a lot of people just kind of forget that sometimes, but, um, I, I think it's obvious they need a change on defense, but uh, for right now, I just I, I think they're kind of stuck with you know what they have, and uh, that's not a criticism for right now. That's a criticism for way back in the winter and the spring when they made those decisions. Obviously, all right. So uh, moving on, uh, the last thing I really want to talk about uh, with um, this Lions game is what the heck do you think happened to the offensive line? Because the Lions came into the game not being able to stop anybody against the run at all, but they whipped the Jaguars up front. Uh, AJ Can before he got hurt was not having a good game. Uh, Brandon Linder had his moments, but he got beat in the run a good amount. Same with Jawan Taylor and Andrew Norwell. Uh, ben Barch had a few encouraging moments, but it was more bad than good from him. Uh, I honestly thought Cam Robinson had a solid game, but it, and. But when you factor in the tight ends and the backs and the fullbacks and their failures to block the blitz, it just seemed like the Jaguars could get nothing going against a defense that everybody else has been able to block. So, I mean, I, I thought that was probably the most concerning part of the game, aside from Minshew struggling. Uh, what's the year? Yeah, I think just Matt Patricia did a surprisingly good job with game planning against the Jaguars. And like we said, he did a good job kind of crowding the defensive line. And Minshew was saying after the game that, they had a good, like a bunch of good looks with a bare front and kind of taking away, um, like running the ball in the like through the gut basically, and so I think it was just stacked boxes and crowding the defense or crowding the offensive line that kind of made a difference, and like the 
the Lions didn't do this, as I think, as much as Miami did, but, like, Miami did an awesome job of crowning the defensive line and then sending creepers and, like, either basically making the offensive line guess who was blitzing and who wasn't. And Detroit did a little bit of that, too. And so I think it's just they weren't really sure to look or who to yeah. block at times, I think, just because there was kind of a lot of bodies near the offensive line or near the line of scrimmage. They were definitely con- congesting things. And I- I'm-, I'm glad you mentioned that because, honestly, uh, it felt like that's a lot of what Houston did as well. So it, it-, it seems like that's at least defense's uh, strategies against the Jaguars uh, in 2020. And until I thought the offensive line was having a good season up until uh, Detroit. I-, I-, I think when you turn on the all-22, the offensive line got beat bad. Uh, the defensive line got beat bad. Um, I'm a big Devon Hamilton fan, but he needs to go ahead and burn that game tape from uh, week six. Uh, Taven Bryan uh, on that DeAndre Swift touchdown, that was just really bad gap integrity. I mean, just overall up front, the Jaguars got beat on Sunday. And I think uh, Sunday was a good demonstration of why they're not a good enough team to overcome uh, being beaten physically in the trenches. So, that that's really all I have uh, for for thoughts on the Lions game. I remarked, uh, you know, like during the game to somebody that, you know, at halftime I was like, "Why do I feel like nothing has happened in this game <laughs> like at all?" You know, like it was seven to th- seventeen to three at halftime, but I still felt like I, I was I was watching a game that was just basically like back and forth, uh, dump off uh, catches and then the occasional big run or big catch. So. It, it, it wasn't that uh, entertaining of a game. Uh, I do think it was the easiest game left on Jacksonville's schedule. So, obviously, them losing it uh, is not a positive for their chances moving forward. Um, Gus, right now, uh, if the season ended today, the Jaguars would have the number two overall pick. But seasons don't end after six games. So, if you project the entire 16-game schedule, they're projected to have the fifth pick right now. Uh, just looking at the teams in front of them, you know, the Jets, Washington, New York, Atlanta, do you think they they jump any of those guys by the time the season's over? Um, I think the Jets would honestly be the maybe the only time I, team I'd be worried about for having a pick in front of the Jaguars in April just because, I mean, they're obviously somehow – like the Jags are a great example of poor town and poor to – coaching but the Jets are even greater example of that and I don't think that's going to get fixed anytime soon but I don't know what the updated metrics are but I remember researching before the season that before Jacksonville's bye they would have a top five easiest schedule in terms of opponent overall efficiency and then after their bye they would have a bottom five schedule in terms of like or a top five toughest schedule in terms of opponent efficiency and so I definitely don't see, like, looking at the schedule now, it's pretty rough. And I think the Vikings are a little bit overrated, or maybe not anymore, but they're one in four, so maybe we can squeak out and against them. And then the Colts is <laughs> definitely a better team than us, but at the same time, it feels like we always win a week 16 or 17 game. And so I really only see two or maybe three more wins by the end of the season. Yeah. So somebody tweeted at me when I said that I thought the Lions game was most winnable and they set Houston at home. I don't see the Jaguars beating Houston this year. I mean, the Jaguars have enough trouble beating Houston any other year, but Deshaun Watson, even in the awful year the Texans are having, and the Texans are a bad team, uh, Deshaun Watson is playing out of his mind right now. And I just – I don't see how this defense stops Deshaun Watson in the fourth quarter. So, I don't think that's a winnable game. Yeah, that Tennessee game last week was 
pretty awesome from him. He's just – he's too good. He's just one of those quarterbacks. He's what no. the Jags are looking for, basically, a quarterback that will always keep them in the game. Uh, I would like to point out that um, one week after the Jaguars put up just 14 points against the Texans, the Texans gave up a franchise record in yards and uh, nearly a franchise record in points. Just to give you an idea of where the Jaguars' offense is compared to, you know, a good NFL offense. Gus, tell me if you agree with this. I think a lot of the blame for this season is getting thrown at the defense, and rightfully so because right now it's trending toward being an all-time bad defense. But I think for this losing streak, I think you got to point the finger at the offense too because other than the Tennessee game, I don't think they've had good performances. I, I don't think the Cincinnati game was a good game from the offense either. No, I agree. I would say that the Colts game was pretty nice, and I think a lot of that was, like I've been saying, like kind of what the defense gives them. And mm-hmm. just like the, their cover, too, is kind of exactly what Minshew likes, Rick and Dink and Dunk. But definitely in the last month, there's been no offensive production. Even when they scored 25 against Cincinnati, like they scored less than 20 in the other three games. And yeah, yeah. Like, I, we keep talking about how they're in, like, negative game scripts the whole time, but at the same time, it's – like, the defense certainly doesn't help, but it's not like the offense is helping with that either. So, I, I think it's definitely fair. Like, yeah, while yeah. the defense is getting most of the blame kind of, like, that doesn't at all mean that the offense is, like, not to blame. Yeah, it doesn't absolve them. I think a good example is, uh, you know, the start of the third quarter last week against the Lions, uh, Sherbert intercepts Stafford on the first third down of the second half, and – the Jags get the ball at the Lions' 20-yard uh, line, and they go four and out. You know, they don't even get a first down. And they get no points despite getting the ball at the Lions' 20. And I think just stuff like that is a good example of how the Jaguars, you know, they're not just losing because of a bad defense. They're losing because the defense and offense are both just not helping each other right now. So, all right, I, I think we can uh, move past that. We can talk a little bit about this uh, upcoming Chargers game. Uh, the Jaguars were supposed to have a bye this week, but instead, you know, the bye got moved next week because of some scheduling maneuvering by the NFL. Now they'll travel to Los Angeles. What do you think it is about traveling to the West Coast that just makes it so impossible for the Jaguars to find wins? Because other than the win in Oakland last year, I cannot remember the last West Coast win they had. Neither can I. I mean, maybe it's just because obviously being in the AFC, most of their games are in the East, and I know that I think it's the Raiders with John Gruden don't have in a lot of success on the East Coast, and I guess the Jaguars are just the East Coast Raiders because, like I said, I can't remember the last one they had on the West Coast either, and so maybe it's just it's kind of ironic because they travel a ton, not necessarily last or this year, but in the past since they have London games, obviously, and so it's ironic that they do a ton of traveling but can't seem to figure out how to when at all, really, yeah. when they travel a lot of miles. Yeah. Now, I, I think it's definitely a big part of that. Um, I think it's also they have trouble winning on the East Coast. Uh, they have trouble winning in the North. <laughs> they have trouble winning in the South. I think that needs to be factored into <laughs> That's it, too. <true. laughs> because, uh, I mean, most of the, time, most of the times uh, they've struggled on the West Coast. They've, they've just had bad records that year. But I definitely think there's something about traveling cross-country that the team has just struggled to prepare for both under Gus Bradley and uh, under Maroon. So, you know, it's going to be a big challenge for the Jaguars uh, this week. Uh, the Chargers are one and four, but it really feels like they're a lot better than a one and four team. You know, I, I, 
I wasn't high on the Chargers coming into this year in part because I just I've never been a Tyrod Taylor guy, but Herbert has surpassed everything that I thought he would do as a rookie. Uh, I I didn't love Herbert as a prospect, but I'm I'm already you know ready to take the L on that one. I think he's looked fantastic, and I think you can make an argument he's looked better than Joe Burrow uh, this year. So I think that the Chargers uh, offensively for uh, Jaguars defense that's struggling as much as it is right now, even though they're getting Josh Allen back, I just think Josh Herbert is a bad matchup for them because he loves to throw the ball deep and the Jaguars the last couple of games have not been able to stop the deep ball. A hundred percent. Yeah. He's thrown, he, or he's, I think he's definitely going to throw at least like one sixty yard touchdown. Let me pull up this stat real quick. He has, he's tied for third with the longest completed pass in terms of air yard this season with a 62 yarder. And he ranks tied for first in, Past plays that have gone for fifty plus yards. So, yeah, I, I, think I think he could throw a football through through like a, a tank. Dude. <laughs> he, yeah. he, he dude has a cannon on his arm. He, it, it, and I think it's actually going to be interesting to watch him and Minshew on the same field on Sunday because they're two really different quarterbacks. You know, I mean, uh, like stylistically, I'm not sure the Jaguars are going to play another quarterback this year outside of Lamar, who isn't similar to anybody. But I don't think they're going to play any other quarterback this year that's more different from Minshew. And maybe it will give fans, uh, you know, uh, an example of, hey, this is what, you know, a high-ceiling uh, young quarterback prospect, you know, kind of looks like. Because, you know, just the areas that Minshew has kind of struggled in this year, it seems like those are the areas uh, Herbert thrives in. But then again, the area Minshew thrives in, you know, his – uh, short accuracy, his ability on timing routes. Those are the areas that Herbert isn't as isn't that good in. Same with his touch. So, I think it will be interesting. Um, I I think that other than in Week One, Minshew has been the inferior quarterback in every game this season. I thought he was obviously better than Philip Rivers in Week One. Yeah. I'm interested to see if that continues this week against a rookie quarterback because Joe Burrow outplayed him a few weeks ago, albeit. Joe Burrow got to play against the Jaguars defense. <laughs> but I, I, I'm interested to see how those two duel this weekend. I mean, how do you see that duel playing out? Yeah, I'm definitely looking forward to it. Like, I'm definitely in the exact same boat that you were in where I wasn't that high on Herbert as a prospect. I thought he was just kind of not a game manager at all at Oregon, but I thought the system just kind of benefited him a ton. And I just wasn't really sure that would kind of cross over to the NFL or not. But he's looked awesome this season. And – I, I do agree with you that he's probably been the best quarterback or rookie quarterback, I mean, ahead of Burrow. And so I'm kind of scared, honestly, because I think Burrow still kind of gets a lot of love for being like the best rookie quarterback right now, mostly because he was the first overall pick. But yeah. I'm a little nervous that Herbert's going to have just a breakout game and everyone's going to fall in love with him after this game and say, like, this is a game that we knew Herbert was legit. Yeah, no, I mean, because – Kind of seems like the Jaguars are everybody else's get-right game. You know I mean? The Jaguars, they were the game that, hey, DeAndre Swift is actually good now, even though he had his career, his season high in yards in the game before last week was 22. Uh, you know, uh, they gave Joe Burrow his first win. You know, I mean, uh, hey, they gave, they, they gave Houston and Romeo Cornell their first win, you know. Because the Jaguars really do seem like the get-right team this year. So, we'll see if that changes uh, in Los Angeles. Um, I think if there is an uh, area the Jaguars can maybe be optimistic about, it's that the Chargers' offensive line uh, has struggled a good bit. 
Um, I think this could be Josh Allen's best chance that he has really all year this year to really, you know, have a statement game. But we'll see how he does uh, coming back from injury. Um, I, I'm interested to see how the Chargers defense does against the Jaguars offense, though, just because it's obviously it's not going to be the same exact scheme just because, you know, since Gus and Bradley and Todd Walsh work together that, you know, it's super similar, but it's not going to be the same scheme. But I'm interested to see how the Jaguars attack a defense that is at least similar to theirs because they didn't do so hot last year, you know, when the Chargers played them. And but Gus Bradley has pretty much historically never changed his defense. So I'm I'm interested to see if the Jaguars are ha- able to have the same success against that kind of scheme that teams have against them. Hundred percent. I think another like interesting point would be that in the last two games the Chargers were up by 17 points, and then they ended up blowing both games. And so I think the fact that the Jags have been down by multiple scores in just about every game the past month. Like, we'll see if they can make a comeback or not. And the Chargers did blow, like, their leads against the Buccaneers and the Saints, which are objectively better teams than the Jaguars. But I'll be interested to see if the Chargers get it big quickly and whether or not they kind of let the Jags Jags come back or not. Just because Anthony Lynn, I think, is, like, a great person, but he's also a very conservative coach. Yeah. And so I'm I'm interested to see how that happens. Yeah. I, I, I think the Chargers – do a really good job of evaluating talent. And I think Anthony Lynn does a good job preparing his team and stuff like that. I think they have good schemes, but it just seems like in game, he is, he's just a questionable coach. So uh, we'll, we'll see. Uh, Gus, who would you say Gus is the most important Jaguar for this week? I think, you know, I said LaVisca last week and that was obviously a completely fruitless thought by me. <laughs> that went absolutely nowhere. So I'm skeptical to even name somebody this week, but I, uh, it's probably a cop-out, but I'm going to go with Gardner this week just because uh, he needs a bounce-back week, I think, more than anybody. And he's going to be going against a tough Chargers defense that's going to challenge him in all the areas that he struggles in. So if there's any chance for him to show that, hey, he can take a step forward, I think it's going to be this week. Yeah. The, I mean, I think Gardner's probably the most important player for every week, honestly. But Yeah, of I'll course. Be- I'll go with uh, Jawan Taylor just because uh, last year when the Jags played the Chargers, Joey Bosa had two sacks and three tackles for loss, and he mostly lines up on the left side of the defensive line, which means he's going to have a lot of snaps against Jawan Taylor. And Taylor has definitely shown a lot of flashes both this year and last, and he's progressively gotten better, I think. But I think he's going to need a big game against yeah. Bosa. Jags offense has any chance of producing because if Bosa is just in the backfield on every drop back, then Minshew doesn't stand a chance. Yeah, uh, I, I'm glad you mentioned that because I, I think this is going to be a good test for both of their tackles, uh, Jawan and Cam, because I believe that Melvin Ingram, uh, I know he got designated to return from IR, so I think he's going to play this week. Uh, I'm not reporting that, obviously. I'm literally just assuming that off him being designated to return. So both Cam and Jawan are going to have really good matchups. Gus, to this point of the year, how do you think those two have played? Because I came into the year thinking it was going to be really hard for Cam Robinson to do anything to earn a contract extension. But now I'm thinking the Jaguars probably be wise to offer him like a mid-level type left tackle contract when the season is over. Would you disagree with that? 
not at all. I thought like last year was definitely disappointing for Robinson. And part of that was that he was coming off a torn ACL from 2018. And so I figured I was kind of done with Robinson after last year, honestly, but I figured might as well give him one more year to see what he's got left and see how big of a deal coming off that ACL tear was. And I've definitely been impressed by him. He hasn't been a world beater or anything, but I definitely think he's improved from, since last year and shown flashes and shown enough to get a mid-level contract, like you said. And then Juwan is kind of the same where he's still young and raw, obviously, but he's certainly getting better at the same time. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if those were the two tackles of the Jaguars' future, but we'll see. I think it kind of depends on what their draft strategy is and just off-season strategy in general. True. I, I, I'd agree with you. I thought um, – I've, I've been a Jawan Taylor fan since he was at UF, but I thought coming into this year, left tackle was obviously a question. Uh, I was on record saying last year I would have picked Tristan Wirfs at number nine. But at this point, um, the Jaguars, they, they had better wisdom and foresight than me because uh, Robinson, I do think, looks – he at least looks like the left tackle that I think people thought he was going to be after his rookie year. You know, he, he wasn't great as a rookie by any means, but I thought he was extremely encouraging. And I think he's in taking the right steps this year. So, uh, uh, Gus, just to, you know, kind of wrap up our thoughts on the Chargers game, give me your prediction uh, win-loss for it. Uh, pretty sure that we were uh, both right on the Lions last week. I think the Chargers win this game. I think they score 30 points. Uh, I'm going to go Chargers 30, Jaguars 17 this week. Oh, that was close to you. I, I wrote down before this 31 to 14 Chargers. Yeah, I, that's – I'll go ahead and give them the, the extra three points uh, as good luck because they deserve Josh Lambeau to return. So, all right, I'll, I'll call that. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I just – it's tough to find a win you know, for this team on the schedule. You know, I, I really do think they have a lot of encouraging young pieces. And I thought they'd be a better team, honestly, than they are this year. I didn't think the offense would struggle as much as it is right now primarily. But unless the offense kind of flips the switch and goes back to its early season form, I don't know how they win this game, personally. If if they can do that, then obviously they have a good shot. But there's no recent um, evidence to suggest that that will happen. So. We'll see. Um, all right. Well, moving forward, uh, Gus, uh, you know, I like to end uh, each podcast uh, with this. Give me your hottest Jaguars take for the week. Um, my hot take is that Joe Sherbert uh, regresses again and cause, because he had a pretty good game against Detroit and especially in the run game. Yeah. He's been maybe not one of the worst, but – certainly below average in pass coverage. And I just – it's definitely too early to kind of – all right, I'm probably being a little too harsh on him considering he's played just six games with a new team after a short off season. But I'm just – haven't really been sold by his performance uh, this season. So, yeah, I the Lions game was, like, good to see from him. But at the same time, I'm a little nervous that it was an outlier. Yeah, cause, I mean, right now um... – you know, just being completely fair and down the middle, right now that game is an anomaly compared to the other five games. Uh, I, it was definitely, like you had said, I thought a step in the right direction. To me, it looked like the first game that he was able to really 
it, it looked like he was actually flying to the ball for the first time this season. You know what I mean? It, it seemed like every other game this year, he was reading things uh, too slow and he was a step too slow on everything. I mean, it, that, that Ryan Fitzpatrick play in week three was a perfect example. I mean, he was slow to even diagnose Fitzpatrick leaving the pocket and as a result took a bad angle. I thought I thought uh, this week, this past week, you know, he played a lot better. Um, I thought most of his impactful plays, you know, they weren't like he was making tackles 10 yards down the field. You know, he was making tackles near the line of scrimmage. Uh, the, the Lions got uh, Cassidy Hill uh, got the research. I don't, I don't remember the exact yardage they got, but of the Lions, 400-something yards, 200 of those came on 10 explosive plays. So it's not like the Lions are getting 10 yards of pop every play and Chobert was making a tackle 10 yards of field. Uh, you know, I mean, they, they were – they got a couple big-time plays. But other than that, the offenses were both kind of stagnant. So I can definitely see why there's uh, maybe some uh, worry there. Uh, I, I was a big fan of Chobert at Cleveland. I, I thought last week was the first time this year that he looked like the Cleveland version of him. So we'll see. You know, maybe – Maybe it was just a good game by him. Maybe he's getting more comfortable in this game, but it's definitely something to monitor. Uh, my hot take would be – see, I, w- I was going to say it's time to it's time to stop expecting production uh, from Taven Bryan, but that's that's not a, <laughs> that's that's not a hot take. Uh, I think my hot take would be I, I'd put Daniel Thomas at strong safety the rest of the season. See what you have in him for the next ten games because. I was a big Josh Jones fan in training camp. I thought Josh Jones was better than Ronnie Harrison in training camp. He had a really good camp. But it turns out when you're not throwing the ball all over the field in camp or going full contact that you will look better because he is just – I think he's been a really good in-the-box run defender. Uh, He he honestly – like his missed tackles, I think he has maybe one or two on the year. You know, he's made a lot of good tackles in the box, but – in coverage, it just seems like he's either getting beat or giving up pass interference because he's more of a box type player. So I'd put Daniel Thomas in there and just see what you have in that rookie for the rest of the year. Yeah, I like that take. What was the game that Thomas played most of? Was it Houston that you got a lot of snaps in? Yeah, it was Houston because um, what was it? Uh, Jones got ejected. Yeah, Thomas played most of the se- Thomas played most of the second half, and I thought when I watched the off twenty two, he didn't look like he was too much in over his head you know I mean they gave up that one long pass along the right sideline him and Claybrooks but it didn't look like he was slow like a step slow or anything it just looked like he didn't have the range to make that kind of play but I mean he made seven tackles in one half and obviously tackles isn't you know an amazing stat or whatever but I thought that he had looked solid in his limited snap so I I I do think they'd, they'd be smart to at least see what you have in him moving forward. I 100% agree. I think that's a good take. I was yeah. also pretty, like, pleasantly surprised by how he played against Houston. Yeah, and I, I didn't have a single take on him coming out of Auburn. When, when he got drafted, I, 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 I try to watch as many players as I can. You know, I love Devon Hamilton, Ben Barch. I knew them. But when they drafted Daniel Thomas, people asked me for my reaction to it. And I was like, I got nothing for you. I, 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 don't, I don't know the guy. But uh, in camp, he looked like a physical player. Uh, Dude just looks like a strong safety man. He, 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 dude is like chiseled from stone. He, he's a big bruising guy. So I think, I think at this point, it's just time to see what you have in most of the rookies. You know, I, it's actually interesting because I do a rookie report type article each week, and that's coming later today on Wednesday on Jaguar Report, where I look at how each of the rookies played, both the draft picks and the undrafted guys. 
at the draft class doesn't even play each week, you know? So I, I, I think it's time to start getting the young guys on the field. 100%. Especially considering just kind of the state of the franchise and the talent level on the team. I think it's definitely a good idea to at least give them some opportunities to yeah. improve themselves. See, see what you have in some guys, definitely. All right, well, uh, that, that's all we have, uh, you know, for this week's show. Obviously, we'll be back next week after the Chargers game to talk about some Jaguar stuff heading into Dubai. Uh, this is obviously only our second episode, but we have yet to record an episode after a win. So we will see if that changes next week. But for now, uh, thank you guys again. You can find all of our work at si.com slash Jaguars, or you can go to Jaguar Report on Twitter. Uh, you can find me at underscore John underscore Shipley. And Gus, why don't you give me your info? I'm Gus underscore Logue on Twitter.com. Yeah, no, g- g- uh, highly recommend uh, following Gus. He does a good job. Uh, just be careful of um, all the back padding he is doing over his uh, Minshew article from the summer. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Uh, thank you guys again. Uh, thank you guys for listening. Hope you have a good week.